This is Coda Radio, episode 198, for March 28th, 2016. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as we teeter dangerously close to episode 200. My name is Chris, and joining us is our host, the powerful Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike! Good afternoon, Chris, and... An enthusiastic ni hao to our listeners in Hong Kong. Ah, yes, yes. And, you know, I'll have to also say a uh, howdy to all our friends up in Canada who are celebrating Maple Day. Sorry, what is this now? I don't know. I just made that up because it seems like they would probably do is that. every day Maple Day yeah. in Canada? <laughs> it's like it's every day a hockey game. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So you got you got what I was putting down with that. Mr. Dominic, we got a great show coming up. 198, we thought what we would do, instead of make 200 a good show, we're going to make 198 a good show. So that way only the insiders, because, you know, the drive-bys, they're going to check out, oh, 200 episodes, I'll check that out. So they check like, it out. We right? are actually doing a drive-by on the Twitch studio for episode 200. Right. Oh, God. Don't, 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 oh, now we got to change our plans. Now we got to oh, change our plans. Can't do it. No. Can't, well, there goes... Dang it. And, you know, I had I had it all figured out. I even had a uh, robot Leo standing by so nobody would ever know. It's for people who like to mess with computers. No one would ever know. He wasn't there anymore. <laughs> what? Now what? Now? <laughs> Where did this go? This got dark. So 198's our, well, was going to be our good show until Mike ruined everything. So maybe we'll have to save it for 200 now. Damn it. Well, coming up in today's episode, we got some great hoopla, including something that may make all of your apps smarter, or at least talk back. And... An Xcode PSA. Then Mike's got an update on his Linux journey, and then we have some great feedback, plus a bunch of other anecdotes to get into today. I'm pretty fired up. You ready, Mike? Oh, and a new toy, which you haven't seen because I just threw it in the chat. Wait a minute. No, it's not what you think. Oh. Okay, I was thinking the Nexus 5X. Oh, that's what it was. Boom. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Tell me about it. Yeah. Oh, you so since the last episode, right? It was since the last episode. You like the day after you hunkered down and bought this thing, right? Yeah, I uh, I got the Project Phi edition. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, I got to tell you, since Marshmallow has come out, gnawing at the back of my mind is like, maybe it's time to get another Nexus device. It's only six bucks on Ting, and you don't have to make it your primary device, and you can try out Marshmallow. The 5X looks like a decent – it's not super fancy. It's not the fastest phone out there. It doesn't have the best battery life, but it's a Nexus device at a good price. So what do you think of the Nexus device? Start there, then give me a little right. Phi stuff. So this is the 5X. So for folks who don't know, this is the LG uh, manufactured, I don't want to say low-end, but let's say mid-range Android phone, because it really isn't low-end. Um, it's a little plasticky. It has that, how would you describe the texture? Kind of a um, tacky, tacky texture? I actually, in, in one way, it's really, it is really nice because it doesn't slip out of your hands, but it, it feels plasticky. But it's, it feels uh, plasticky. Yeah. It's, like a, uh, it's almost like a rubberized plastic. So... I like it. Let me just start there. Okay. Uh, I love that they figured out, let me put the fingerprint scanner on the back of the phone. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because then you almost are just accidentally authenticating right as stuff stuff comes up. Well, that, that's what I like. I just pick up my phone yeah. and it's, okay, here you go. You yeah. can look at your email. I've been, I've been obsessively reading reviews because, like I said, it's, been, it's yeah. been chewing at me. And one of the things people say is, as I pull it out of my pocket, you know, I already have my finger there. The screen's unlocked by the time I have it in my front of my face. The battery life is, of course, leaving a little bit to be desired. Um, I hear the camera's a little slow on the trigger, but the pictures camera's are good. A little, camera's a little slower, than, and I'm comparing this all to an iPhone uh, 6S, I think. That's, yeah. Boy, yeah. That, when you come to camera, that's going to be a... When you come to camera, that's definitely a place where it loses out. I, You know, it's fast, though. I mean, for the $100 that this phone costs, if you're going to buy it through Project 5, I would recommend it, right? I mean, really. Okay, so Project Phi is Google's um, – uh, it's like Google's version of Ting, only they are simultaneously, I believe, bridging the CDMA and GSM networks. Instead Why? Of, so they're doing T-Mobile and Sprint under the cover. That just seems unbelievable to me because, you know, uh, 
with, with so with Ting, my background is I kind of get to an area and I go, okay, what has better signal here, CDMA or GSM? And then I pick that horse and I ride that horse while I'm in that area. And uh, the thing about that that seems that seems good to me is it's uh, I know what to expect and I don't have a weird switching. And then thirdly, of course, not all my calls are routing through Google because the way Google makes this work is your calls are routing through them, and right, so they're able to switch between the networks. Is my understanding? How that's, what's that's been exactly. What's been your experience and thoughts so far? Pretty good now. To be fair, I have fairly good T-Mobile service. In fact, my my still main phone, the iPhone success, is still on T-Mobile. So I don't know how much I'm switching, if at all. I also know that this does do Wi-Fi calling, and I generally am around Wi-Fi. Oh, yeah, right? sure, sure. The pricing on Project Fi is kind of amazing. I think it's uh, I think I'm paying like thirty dollars a month or something. For the service, and that's two gigs. And the beauty of it is, if you go above your bucket, you just go to the next bucket. It's not like you know Verizon-style penalty points, right? Where it's ten dollars a gigabyte, whatever, uh, whatever their weird pricing scheme used to be. Can you tell I used to be a Verizon customer? Mm -hmm. Left. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I feel a little weird about the privacy implications of Google being the carrier, right? Because we were recently talking about Google Fiber. Yeah. but, you know, it, it, it was worth a try, and I think as a low-cost, high-quality solution, you know, the Nexus 5X deal from Google using Project Fi, it's really a, a good thing to think about. Do you get tethering? Do you get What do you get data-wise? I think you can tether. Yeah, I haven't tried it. And but. so I'm going to look at the plans real quick. Do you know, would you know roughly, so you're paying around $30? i am i am on the low plan, yeah. I'm on so 20 list. bucks a month plus tax is probably what you're paying. Uh, it includes right. unlimited domestic talk and text, unlimited international text. Use it as a Wi-Fi hotspot, uh, and it's ten dollars per gig. Ah, so then you added ten dollars, which brought you up to thirty. I see. So ten dollars <throat> gets you a gigabyte of data. Uh, ten for one gigabyte, twenty for two gigabytes, thirty for three gigabytes, and so on. Yeah, so it scales directly up, and you're not committed. So basically, almost everybody's better off just selecting the low plan. And you don't, and you don't pay for data that you don't use. Never pay for unused data. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's pretty good. I, I I wonder, you know, one is this a profitable business for Google? No. Okay. Don't you, do you think? Not yeah, if yeah. not if they're going to actually have customer service and they're going to market and they're going to you know, boy, part of me would love to see them go for it though, and and have the Nexus just be driven even further by this. Wouldn't that be nice? Is if this led to like. Google is rumored to be partnering with hardware manufacturers more directly on the next right. Nexus phone. So you take something where Google is now maybe getting involved with the CPU designs. They're getting involved with the design of the phone, and they're getting involved with the network level. That's really taking it to the next level. Uh, so I could see why they'd want to do it, even if it doesn't make a lot of money. I could see it. I, I I wonder though, like how are they using this data and are they using this data? Right, of course you gotta wonder that. And of right. course they're using this data, dude. Of course yeah. they are. Of course yeah. they are. They they may not be using anything more than your DNS queries. Or right. they may literally be analyzing every bit of clear text communications you do over the internet. Right. Anything right. you do over HTTP. Who knows? Verizon does that. AT&T does that. It's already an established practice in the telco industry. So they're not even doing something that's unprecedented if they do it. And they're Google, right? So I, I could see them doing it. But I'm kind of glad you're trying it because I have been curious. And I'm okay. Do you have any other thoughts on the 5X compared to the 6X? You know, you know it, it, what's interesting about it is it's actually, and I would even say like the success, a pretty boring device. Does it feel performant? It feels performant. I don't have many complaints. I mean, one thing I will say, um, and this is kind of sad, but getting a 5X was the easiest way for me to get Android 6 without rooting a phone. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, in and it's the easiest way for you to get uh, 6.1 and 6.5 and maybe right. even 7. And, and maybe 7, right? So that in itself is still a problem, but I don't think we need to devote you know, 40 yeah, minutes to I agree. To, I, yeah. I, so I, obviously you're going to be sticking with it, and maybe – and maybe we don't even have to chat on the show. Maybe you and I can chat offline. But I have been seriously considering 
I guess, do you feel like uh, is, has enough changed in Marshmallow that you are glad you gl- you are benefiting from having a Marshmallow device? Uh, no. Oh, really? No. So you feel like if your last experience was five something? You're yeah, pretty I think I, I think five is pretty solid. I don't. Um, I mean, I'm just I I literally have it in my hand. Now. I'm just looking at it. There are differences, but you know, I wouldn't be upset if I didn't have six. Uh, while we're talking about Google, one more little Google story uh, before we get to our PSA today. Google is going to open access to its speech recognition API to essentially kind of offer what Nuanced is uh, Nuance does with uh, their Dragon uh, technology, but you know, potentially uh, at a much larger scale uh, at a much a much lower cost. Uh, they're planning to compete with Nuance and other voice recognition companies head-on by opening up its speech recognition API to third-party developers. To attract developers, the app will be free at launch with pricing later dated. Now, holy crap. To offer – think about what it requires. Think about the bandwidth to send voice samples up to speech yep. recognition. The processing power to analyze waveforms – Quickly across the server farm and then send the data back. And then also, of course, all the analytics you, you're going to want to collect on that too. This has got to be a very costly operation. It is essentially the profit center of nuance. And Google's going to start offering it to developers, folks just in our audience, for free. It's going to be a big deal, I think. What do you think? Any quick thoughts? I mean, I know it's not a huge thing, but any quick thoughts? You know, it's interesting. Um, one thing I will... I guess I'll have to admit is Google has been pretty aggressive with releasing platforms over, let's say, the last 12 to 18 months. And it has been very difficult as one developer to kind of keep up with that. If I had to pick, this would probably be one that I took a look into. Um, I wonder when they say free, do they mean free forever? And what limits exist on that You know, definition of free? True. I'll give you an example. Google Maps is free, but there are limits. And when you hit them, it becomes very, very not free. Do you consider this dumping? Um, that's a really interesting question. Is it dumping? It certainly will make it hard. If, if it truly is free, it's going to make it hard for anyone else to try to monetize right um, an API like this. Let me give you an example. I have a project I want to do that requires uh, stock data. And... There are businesses that exist that just want to sell you access to stock data, and it is not cheap, right? Right, right. and they're just yeah, they're, no. they're just JSON APIs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're right. Well, or, or their version of whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of them are older. They're like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Certainly, the Google getting into any business makes it harder for anyone else to you know monetize that business. But I'm not sure of any real competitors other than Nuance, right? Well, uh, Nokia and Microsoft and a few others have some stuff, but it's it almost I think it's irrelevant. It's not going to matter because it's not it's not just dumping. Uh, it is it is going to be devastating in terms of sheer data collected versus any of the other guys. Right, the monetization side. They've got Hangouts. They've got YouTube videos. They've got Google Voice. They've got. Project Fi. They've now got this speech recognition API. These and those. That's probably there's probably several dozen other that I just am forgetting about. These are all already data points that Google's system can use to better recognize human speech. They already have the ability to recognize over eighty languages. They already have a full developed API ready to go, and this is going to be the obvious choice for anybody. That's going to create an application that's expected to run on iOS or Android, and you want this functionality, you're going to go with this. Anybody that wants a Google or Android TV application, anybody that wants a web application and likely they'll be using Chrome, or any browser now that supports local mic access, all of them, they're all going to use this. This is going to be the champion. And not only is it going to be the champion, it's going to have the most data inputs out of any of these systems. I mean, sure, Nuance has Siri and they have all of their established ways of collecting data, but nothing can compete with the global scale. Google is essentially outsourcing the data input to real people in the real world using real dialects and bring it all into their data center and learning. And it's going to be an amazing system. And so they might keep it free for quite a while. 
Because that's that's that is so much value. That's millions of dollars of R and D. So maybe they'll keep it, or or maybe they'll always have a free tier. I can see that. Right. That that's kind of a future that I see. Right, a free tier where it's if you're just doing a small app or you're you know doing a proof of concept, you never pay for it. But if you were actually getting to some kind of scale, it costs. You know, really the Google Maps model. Right. That's, yeah. That's something I do. See yeah. I, yeah. I think you're probably right. So interesting, and if you guys want to read the whole thing, we have a link in the show notes. And that squeak that you – I think that's what you call it. It's not a, not a creak and not a squeak. It was a squeak. Is an indication it's time for us to take a moment and talk about DigitalOcean before we get into our PSA today. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to get up and started with your own server in the cloud right away. You got a project you want to work on, you have some testing to do, or you just need a server up there to deploy a Docker image on. DigitalOcean. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL and get a $10 credit. Oh, a $10 credit? Well, guess what? Their rigs, like their, their base rig, $5 a month. Two months. You could run a super-fast SSD-powered server with a blazing-fast CPU and a terabyte of transfer for two months for $5. Or they could try the 10 or 20 You know, the, the pricing structure just goes up really nice and incrementally, and you get way more stuff each time. They got Ubuntu. They got FreeBSD, Fedora, CoreOS, Debian. One-click deployments of things like OwnCloud9. They have a lot of really easy setup to go base Ubuntu systems. If you build on top of Ubuntu and you want a nice base system with a database server and a web server, you know, then you can choose between which one you want. And, and maybe a couple of different things in the application stack, like perhaps Docker or something like that. Ready to go. One click. It's no trouble. Super easy to manage. They have an HTML5 console, which makes it crazy easy to do from any device when you're right there at the console from boot all the way up to login. And they have an API which you can build on top of to automate things or snap into your existing management infrastructure. And they got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. Just like they're like all over the place. They're like a rash. Only the good kind that's in a data center. If you use the promo code Coder Digital, you can spin up a droplet, try it out, see what I've been talking about. And once you got one running, you got some stuff. You know, you know, maybe I could do a little more with this. Maybe I could use this to make my product even better. Why not read one of their great tutorials? Tons of great tutorials like this one. How to configure a continuous integration testing environment with Docker and Docker Compose. Boom. Now, that's a lot of fanciness, and it's in a well-written, well-structured, easy-to-read how-to. And that's one of many for all kinds of tasks. Plus the one-click deployments. This is where you go. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. So, Mike, I'm assuming you must have gotten bitten, and thus we have a PSA in this week. Hold on. Stand by. I got to make this I gotta make this really dramatic. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, the Coder Radio program has a PSA for you this week regarding... Xcode, we're going to our on-location reporter, Michael Dominic. Uh, Mr. Dominic, what are you learning at this time? Well, uh, Chris, we have reports from uh, multiple bystanders that Xcode 7.3 does, in fact, uh, break debugging on app code. There you go. We have informed you. That is the breaking news on this episode. Wait, there it is. Yeah. CNN breaking news. So, uh... I guess this just came out on the twenty first, and uh, <laughs> how did you run into? How did you discover this particular problem? <laughs> I guess I must have installed the update sometime over the weekend. And yeah, didn't it just came and down. Then, it just comes down in the app store. So if you're updating your app store apps, yeah. Bob's your uncle. And then today I'm running, uh, I'm running app code early this morning, and I can't debug to anything. So I do a quick Google search, and, and it does look like the app code version's one version behind Xcode. So the current production version of app code will not work if you have xcode 7.3 installed. <gasps> if you download the early release version which is basically you know they're like canary channel you're in better shape hmm so i probably would expect an update soon yeah uh one other psa that uh the n darker i can't say your name in the chat i am so sorry uh oh, are you talking about us. nd curses there or which one who are you talking about exactly yeah nd curses Code for America. Oh, let's go. Oh, yeah. Okay, tell but, me. Do you know about this is, Code for America thing? I know. I've heard of it before. I've never uh, never really done too much with it. But basically, it's volunteer coding for you know local municipal governments, local yeah. projects that aren't going to get funded. 
Hold Perfect. on a second. Hold on one sec. Just because I want to see what this is like. I hate to do it live on the show because you never know. You might get a, you might get like a surprise. But uh, hold on, I got a little thing here. Code for America Brigade. Okay, you ready? Okay. Yep. Do it. Brigades are Code for America's volunteer force, and they are led by talented technologists and community organizers just like you. We started the brigade when we realized there was just this sort of energy around technology in our city and a need for that to translate over into government. Code for America is on the front lines of that. My career has always been about trying to find ways that you know momentum around technological change can be harnessed for positive social change. Okay, so there we go. I, I kind of get an idea of what they're about. Code for America. And yeah. social change. A little, I'm getting a little social change there, but I'm, I'm sure it's a bunch of other things, right? Well, I mean, obviously they have a particular leaning, okay. but there there is a reality behind all of this. Of there are, let me give you an example. Uh, New Jersey, right? There's a place called Newark, which has a bunch of things that they need done, and there are generally like little public safety projects that the local government can't afford or mm. won't afford, things like that. Yeah, I see this. So the I idea, see. I mean, obviously, don't donate your time to, you know, Princeton or Manhattan proper. <laughs> you know, there are some areas that can afford it, some that yeah. can't. I would strongly recommend that you pick and choose. Um, this could be an interesting way to do a little resume building. A little resume building, but also, you know, a little bit of altruism here, right? There are a yeah. lot of folks who, you know, n- n- not not to be too... Uh, fear mongery but there are, are just i mean frankly you know camden new jersey's number two in murders right there's just a lot of dangerous places that a little bit of uh technological improvement would go a long way for the people there yeah yeah that's very true a little uh like one of the things here is uh open data plans drafting plans to work in the city of newark uh open data sets uh here's another one geo hospital visualizations of newark new jersey based on publicly available data Geospatial oh, visualization, right? And most of the stuff is open source too, I believe. So that's it's yeah. also it's not like you're doing a free job for the municipality. You know, I'll put a, I'll toss if people are curious. I'll just I'll toss a link to this uh, business here in the uh, in the show notes, uh, right there in the uh, PSA category. That is a nice. Hey, you know what? That actually qualifies as a PSA. Holy smokes, Mike! Did you did did you mean to tie it together like that? That is some sort of fanciness right there. No, uh, apparently we have the uh, co-captain of the St. Louis Brigade in the chat who shared it with me while cool. we were getting. Together. Well, you know what? That uh, you can tell you've been podcasting for nearly two hundred episodes because you just wove it in there nice and smooth and made it kind of just match. You so, know, nice. I, I'm a pro. Yeah, like, right. Law and Don Imus. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're so pro that, uh, of course, the internet had to call you out in the comments section on your blog. But before we get to that, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, and. and. They were wrong. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's oh, really? Actually, yeah. I thought your follow-up so, point was pretty, pretty, pretty on the nose. But before we, no, before I feel like I'm burying yeah. the lead. We should talk about uh, your new post, Linux Adventure Part Two. Uh, you get into Ubuntu app, so you still run Ubuntu on that Dell. Uh, how's it been going, Mike? Uh, it's been going relatively good, which is what I state in the post. So far, not so hostile. Yeah, you say a couple of things though uh, of things. Th- that I thought were interesting. You talk about. Uh, uh, Ubuntu just doesn't have a good ecosystem compared to Mac OS, and the Software Center is more than an embarrassment. The developer interest, yeah. the simple and most basic cause of this is there just aren't many apps available since developers don't see Ubuntu as a platform worth developing for. Bam, and you say that's probably true to a point. Uh, so obviously this is true when you're looking at the Ubuntu market in a – Certain context, right? All right. So let, let's break it down point, 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 break, right? Break, break. So I, I think we all, can all agree, you know, I got a lot of interest because this ended up on, because I, you know, I posted it to Reddit and foolishly I posted it to the R Linux Reddit. Hey, oh! What a mistake. <laughs> uh, the really. high degree of discourse. High oh, degree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-oh. General hostility. Makes Linux users look great. Um, I think because really, I, I, you know, and I got a couple emails, and uh, you know, some of them were fun. But at the end of all these conversations, oh, but of course, the Ubuntu Software Center is garbage, and you're totally right about that. So let's just stipulate, right? Chris Fisher, Mister Linux Action Show, will you agree with my point 
that the Ubuntu Software Center is a steaming pile of Oh, cancer. sure. Yeah, man. I mean, that's okay. a, in fact, you could say that is a horse I have beaten uh, so long that I almost have stopped mentioning it because I feel like, geez, I can't keep kicking this thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, I would argue, Mike, that the Ubuntu Software Center has done far more harm than it has ever done for Ubuntu or the Linux desktop uh, by, by now, unfortunately, by a pretty good margin. Uh, the, the gap wasn't as big as it was a couple of years ago, but now it's just, it's super bad and really, really unfortunate. And, you know, the worst part is, Mike, is it's not just the quality of the application. They've made some improvements. Uh, you're on 1404, right? No, I'm on 1510. Oh, well, that's as good as it's getting, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, um, uh, <laughs> well, so it's not, you know, and it's never been, uh, geez, it has really, it is bad. It is so bad because it, 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 it infers the promise of a way to deliver software to Linux users, but it makes the process of even getting a free application so convoluted and complicated that you are left with a total lack of confidence, not to mention discoverability is atrocious, and it is unfortunately uh, really, really poor done. A web application with uh, a Firefox-based frame around it using the Gecko rendering engine would have been a better experience. Literally, the GNOME extension site is a better experience than the GNOME or than the Ubuntu Software Center. And so the the problem here is because this thing is so bad yet has it has inferred a promise for so long, it has essentially misled developers as the place to launch applications. So what we have now and I have a history of them, some of them covered in this show is people launch applications in the software center and then they make 30 bucks. And we have literally, you remember from a while ago, gotten data directly from developers that were selling applications. Oh, one used to work for me. Uh, uh, I, I won't say his full name, but Zane. Yeah, he, I know. He, he, was, he did that cheeseburger thing. Can I make more than, a, than it cost me to do buy you remember, a Do you remember the fancy widget calendar weather thing? Yeah. We, we heard from that. Yeah. I mean, we've heard yeah. from several, I don't want to name them because I don't, we've heard from several developers uh, uh, that it's just it is an embarrassment the money they make it is often under a hundred dollars a month and that was a couple of years ago imagine where it's at now so that, well, okay. one more one more thing sorry and then I'll let go, you go, go. Um, just my last point is because they so so they they made a false promise and then the last thing real quick uh, because they were delivering this piece of steaming crap on the desktop. Uh, nobody really from the community stepped up to actually deliver something here. They, they, so what they did is they left – there was this hole in the market that they plugged with something that was a substandard product and nobody else wanted to go up against it. And thankfully, after a while, we've got an app grid. But in the meantime, if that st- steaming pile never existed, somebody would have come out of the woodwork to deliver this thing. There, I'm done. OK, great. So I want to talk about app grid. But before we talk about AppGrid, I just want to let's because I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm not like crazy, right? I know far more people listen to the show than would ever go to the website, which is dominicm.com. So let me just state the argument that I made in the article. And you can tell me if I'm mischaracterizing what I wrote okay. yesterday. That's fair. Um, I said there were th- two major problems. One, under the heading of developer interest, is basically what you just stated, right? Uh, that there's just not that much commercial or GUI. And it doesn't need to be commercial, right, but GUI app, in quotes, development for the platform when compared to Mac OS or Windows. Obviously, I don't, I'm not talking about command line utilities, server software, or anything like that. The next issue, which is the one you just beat with a hammer, very good, app distribution. That's a, I would say that is a bigger problem, right? Mm. Because, you know, I'm coming at this from someone coming from the Mac, looking at it, thinking, okay, maybe I'll release something here. You know, you've already got my interest, right? So that's kind of taken care of. But the distribution problem of if you have something called the Ubuntu Software Center, and then it doesn't work right, or it's crappy and broken and, (laughs) and, you know... Looks it, like Camden, sorry. And it requires really. that you, quote-unquote, buy a free application and, you know, you have to log in with a – you have to go create a canonical right. account. And it's weird. It's, you have to go create right. a canonical account and buy a free open source application. It just doesn't – it just it doesn't right. click. So then my obvious and 
you know, next thing to look at would be, well, okay, let me look at setting up a page for this with like a Stripe payment thing or, or what I used to do was a Gumroad payment thing, right? Basically just a payment processing widget and I would just let you download a binary. Lo and behold, that's also a huge pain in the ass because, you know, the whole, we've talked about this, I think, last week or the week before, but linking dependencies, there's no, quote, blessed development kit, right, for Unity. Um, issues with your apps, like, in the previous post and on previous shows, I talked about as I'm trying other people's Ubuntu apps, which are, by the way, few and far between, um, there are definite issues on Unity. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, we talked about Corebird where I had to change my uh, – I was having that stupid thing with the the corners of the screen. With the little, right? like, uh, with the little right? uh, pixel co- uh, right. corners, so yeah, yeah. Basically like pixel, not death, but like almost look like pixel corruption on all the corners – where I ended up having to change my theme to fix that. <laughs> uh, you know, th- there, are, there are serious problems that I would argue not having a, quote, blessed development kit cause. And I understand that, like, Canonical pushes Python GTK, and I understand there are tools. There is a developer.ubuntu website. There's all these things that you could totally do. Um, there's Vala, right? Great. But Corebird's written in Vala, and... Being a valid GTK app doesn't necessarily solve these problems. No, and you're right. more inclined to want to be on a little bit more newer edge of GTK. Now, right. some of that, you know, wait, some of the some of the stuff you are running up against. Oh, will... let me just hit one more thing. Let me just hit one more. Yeah, thing. I don't think it's acceptable to ask someone to go to a website, enter their credit card information, download a, a package, and then ask them to run like a Python script to install the app. So that's the other side. It does feel weird, huh? To, to me, that is not – and I understand that that is a solution, and I got a lot of that on Reddit. Uh, Jackass, just use Synaptic or make a PPA. I get that. In my mind, the type of users I'm thinking of, that is not an acceptable solution. I want some sort of GUI install process, whether that's a Windows-style wizard or just an OS ten click, click, you have it, and just click the icon, right? So keep going. I'm sorry. Um, well, so in 1604, you're going to get a newer version of GTK. You're going to get yep. an improved version of the Ubuntu Software Center. And you'll also be able to run GNOME Software. And I know you, you did make some comments about potentially GNOME Software being an avenue in the future. But right now, that's a really exclusively locked down to things that are open source and in, your, and in the repo. That's correct. So that's yeah. the other big piece of feedback I got. Well, you know, your post is kind of badly timed because yeah. you know, <laughs> GNOME Software is coming out. And you know, at some point, I just stopped responding because and, – and I'm glad you said that because my understanding was GNOME software did not allow commercial software. Is that true? Uh, it's, not, it's not an implicit policy. In fact, they've talked about uh, in the future having commercial future, partners. Right. In the future, allowing a payment processing system and all of that. But as it stands today, I don't believe that if you were to go into GNOME software when it does come out in like five or six weeks for Ubuntu – Right. Um, I don't believe that that is a viable alternative if you're trying to sell yeah. your yeah. application. So essentially, Which, uh, and uh, uh, Rikai has got got the link there. Essentially, what the plan is, and it the it's not working great at the moment. But essentially, right. what the plan is is uh, Canonical is going to transition to making paid apps a thing in GNOME software, which requires patches. And not only does it require patches, but because they don't want to reinvent all the wheel, it, it's going to require like. Uh, Package maintainers package the icons appropriately so that way the artwork and icons display appropriately in, in GNOME software, which isn't necessarily the case right now. There's a lot of work to be done here, and it's all changing in 16.04. So that's why people are saying your timing is bad. I don't think the fundamental issue is changing, though. Uh, it's not going to all of a sudden become an avenue that's obvious for you to sell your apps in. Well, and, and this only works – I would even, even if this works, right, this canonical patching GNOME software solution, it only works for users on 16.4 plus, right? So, you know, you lose out on all those LTS users. You lose out on all the 1510 users. True. However, uh, hmm, I think 1604 is going to be uh, the big one. Uh, I mean, I've, I've DigitalOcean is, I believe, planning a lot to upgrade the base their base servers uh, to 1604. Google okay. is planning to upgrade to 1604. Uh, I mean, like everybody is talking about going to 1604. I think it will quickly be a very, very fastly adopted version of Ubuntu. So there's that. And there 15.10 is, that, right. is supposedly a very easy update path to 16.04 too. So they're in a pretty good position to get a lot of people using the new GNOME software, Ubuntu software, whatever. But I don't – I don't – I wouldn't <laughs> – 
You know, Mike, the thing is, is even then, once that's done, that's phase one. Phase two is Unity 8. Phase three is a new software center where you distribute your packages through snaps. I don't think you're going to have a complete solution till, uh, for this until 2017. Because uh, it's funny. the, the, it's the funny. software center is just a small part of the back end, right? Well, and this was my point, right? And, and it, it's funny. And one, just to chat, I do know that 1604 is going to be an LTS. Yeah, he just means that he, they could still use the old LTS because it's an right. LTS. Uh, I just mean there's going to be folks who stick on 14.4 and 15. Yeah, but, yeah because it's um, an LTS. <laughs> right. I did not intend for this, uh, this post to become about the software center. Right. In fact, I didn't think this post would actually get traction. That was just some, you know, kind of something I was going to post and kind of taking notes on what I was doing. Like one aspect was in the comments, uh, someone was kind of giving me a hard time, and you know, even if Canonical solves this problem, they still have the same problem that everybody else has: of how do you make these software businesses viable? Right. How do you make the platform non-hostile to commercial software? Uh, what's really interesting is I think a lot of the confusion on the feedback for this post was that people just assumed I was talking about like free software in terms of non-monetary, non-commercial, right? The common response on, on Reddit was, haven't you ever heard of Synaptic? I mean, come on, man, just throw up a PPA. Well, that's, yeah, that's that response that, is similar to when I say, "Oh man, it really sucks that my Samsung device isn't getting updates." And people say, "Well, haven't you ever heard of CM? Just install Cyanogen. What's the problem?" Yeah, it, it, it's really, you know, it's interesting and and kind of scary on the one hand, right? Because is there a demand for this kind of thing? Right? Is is one? Does Canonical want commercial software to be successful in Ubuntu? And does the community want that to happen? Well, I reflect on uh, I reflect on crossover office, which Code Weavers has been. I mean, man, I I probably have bought that every single year for ten years, right. and uh, they've been developing it for the Linux desktop since then. And so, and they had just sell it directly through their website, and they make RPMs, Deb, and a TarGZ, and you know, you pick the flavor that best matches your distro, and you download and run. Their TarGZ is a shell script that launches a uh, either a Qt or a GTK, or a, I mean, it might, it might even be a, might even be less something even more simpler than that. But it launches basically a, a wizard, like you would almost see on a Windows installation, and uh, they just like it's installed.sh or whatever. They call it something very obvious. You run that, and it just. You know, it manually copies the files where they need to go. You know, screw your package manager. I'll just put my files where I need to. And then, of course, updates I must, I would imagine, must be managed through manual downloads or something. Right, which which really seems clunky to me, yeah. but isn't isn't the worst thing in the world, right? Right, and especially if you if it's a product that you are motivated enough to go to the website and buy, you're probably likely also motivated enough to go and download, and it's also an opportunity for you to remarket. You know, especially if they sign up for a newsletter or something like that. Get updates and things like that with this newsletter. And then you send out a thing saying, hey, we got a new version. Uh, I mean, the nice thing is is that uh, I think if the category is right, you can – I mean, I, I'm an example of somebody who's literally been buying the upgrade product to Codeweaver's uh, crossover office now for 10 freaking years. Uh, I buy the upgrade every single year. And uh, i trying to think. Is there any other software I regularly buy? Well, it's just games. Humble and Steam. Right. So exclude games, right? <laughs> I mean. Honestly, though, uh, if there was uh, well, Sublime Text, I've paid for Sublime Text. Sure. Sure. Okay. Developer tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, literally just starting a conversation here, right? Wasn't trying to indict Canonical. Wasn't attacking Linux. I think they have done harm, though. You think you so you you, you actually think. 
Harm to who? who, who? To the Linux desktop. I think Canonical took okay. their eye off the ball. I think they thought they were going to – I thought they – I think they were under the impression they were going to finance the Linux desktop, the arm of their just, – just the Linux desktop division of Canonical through the software center. It didn't pan out. They moved over to mobile. Well, first they moved over to – Ubuntu for Android, then they moved over to Ubuntu on TV, and then they moved over to Ubuntu Touch. And in the meantime, they let the software center, and to an extent, but not as much, Unity languish. And as a result, uh, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier in the show, it stuck around, and I think it did more damage than good. And it took it took until the crazy folks over at the GNOME project wanted to make GNOME software, and the Muon folks with Muon Discover were, for their, were writing something for their own distribution because it was the situation was so bad and then, and then the uh, KDE desktop folks forked it and made it part of an official KDE package. Uh, so now KDE has its own kind of clunky. In fact, I don't know if you've seen this, Mike. Maybe I can pull this up for you here. Uh, if you if you have a kind of semi-current KDE desktop, they have something called Discover, and Discover is the uh, is the app center from another distribution. And uh, if you're watching the video version, you can see what a train wreck this thing is. Uh, it's got super clunky uh, three or four applications that uh, slide along the top here, VLC, Corita, Marble, a few others, like four apps. Uh, the most popular are things I literally don't even recognize what they are. I, I, there's these applications that are called most popular, and, they, and all I can tell there is they have smiley faces. I fundamentally have no idea what any of the things in the most popular. I don't know if they're applications. I don't know if they're fonts. Uh, it says comic.krnsrc. What's a K? Uh, that sounds like a KDE script file or something. Uh, comic underscore knsr. I, I don't even know what that is. And then in the next column over best rated. Well, in the best rated column are plasma desktop widgets, the little toys that ship with your desktop already, like the weather widget. Or maybe a couple others developed by the community. And this is in the most, the best rated category. The crap I already get, right? And then in categories, you have all kinds of stuff. The icons are of arbitrary size. The games icon is literally uh, a tenth the size of the education icon. The plasma desktop icon is roughly the same size as the education icon, except for the office icon right next to it is the size of a paper document when the other two are, I mean, it's all over the map, right? And then if I go into some of these, I don't know, let's pick one like system and settings. It's right now it's blank. Now I don't know if it's going to about to populate. I have no idea what's happening. You can see that here's a most popular column and a best rated column. They're completely empty. The all column or, uh, or whatever is zero items. There's apparently literally nothing in system and settings. And this is on an Ubuntu 15.10 computer where you would think the software availability would be rather high. I mean, I go into games. I think there's some categories in here. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, actually, all these icons are really super weird. They're like, a, they're like mouse with dots. Yeah. I mean, this is all a horrible right. train wreck. So this is what's on the KDE de- Plasma desktop side. GNOME software came out of eventually, well, hey, we've got to do something. But it's really only designed for free software. Canonical comes along and says, well, we'll adopt that. But, you know, the, it's very unlikely the main upstream product projects will take their patches, maybe. I mean, it's, so I wouldn't bet on the software and the GUI. It's, still, it's something you're going to have to build yourself still, I think. So let me ask you this. Is, is maybe this the market working, right? Is there just no demand? For an app store? For, like, general purpose, you know, applications, right? For general purpose apps on, let's just narrow our focus to the Ubuntu desktop. Commercial, general, right, so. That's tough. You know, if you were to ask me as a longtime Linux user, I would tell you that I want to be able, one of the things I like about the Humble Bundle is, or Steam, but, you know, the Humble Bundle is, if I want to run Arch this week, I can run it on Arch. And if I want to run Ubuntu this week, I can run it on Ubuntu. And right. uh, one of the reasons I'm using Linux is I don't really want to be pinned down to a particular distribution. And their app stores essentially are a form of lock-in. And I'm not really big on that. And that's one of the reasons well, I so moved to Linux. Let, let's move right. Let's let's move away from the app stores. All right. So what I'm asking is, well, not moving away, but hear me out for a second. Is the poor state of the app stores and the software centers, whatever you want to call them, on Linux platforms in general, the cause of the low amounts of commercial software you see being developed for the Linux desktop? Or is it a symptom of it, right? So, for instance, is it if the developers showed up, the app stores there would look better? And so the obvious solution is, well, just do your own web-based thing like, you know, like I was talking about doing? Or is it 
there's no user demand, so no one, developers, uh, the platform vendors included, have any interest in supporting this. I think what it is, there's no easy way to access that user demand or to even let that user demand know that something exists. So the problem is is really you uh, you could you could have a whole whole category of extremely thirsty users, and you could have yourself a lemonade stand, and none of them know. And the only ones that might know, uh, and 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 traditionally, there hasn't been a good way to communicate to these users. Uh, okay. Magazines have pretty much been it. Now podcasts are starting to become a way, and blog posts right. and things like it. So it's, they're starting to become ways. And you know you could do you could you could spread the word. Uh, you know that's the the only success that any of the Ubuntu software store uh, center apps have ever seen is when they start getting coverage on Reddit and OMG Ubuntu, and they start spreading the word. Same thing, right? Same formula. And I think people would start to buy. I mean, you look at the Humble Bundle, right? That shows you that Linux users, on average, pay more than Windows or Mac users. I think that's true, but you know, a- as you were saying that, <laughs> I just uh, got a notification. It, 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 I got another comment. It looks like. Um, you know, literally another person saying, well, I just, don't, I just don't buy software, right? I don't buy commercial software. And that's why I use Linux. So that – I think that asking, might be true. But that, what I don't, think right. that, I don't think that's Linux users. I think that's technical users that know how to steal software. I think there's a higher percentage of geeks that don't buy software because they know how to download Photoshop and then they know how to put the Photoshop activation servers in their host file to go to 127.0.1 so they don't – I mean it's, it's obvious. It's easy. And so they steal. And so I think it's just a higher percentage of technical users use Linux. But uh, I think a higher degree of them, especially those of us who are maybe getting uh, 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, uh, recognize that there actually is an art. There's a craftsmanship and there is right. a, an exchange of value and goods. And once you start to understand the concept of somebody is giving me value for this, then you start to become compelled to support them. And I think there's more and more of those in the Linux community. It's just, again, like I said – they could be parched and want a lemonade and have no idea you have a delicious lemonade stand. Yeah, it, it's interesting though, right? Because if you were to go into like the Mac subreddit and say, hey, you know, I'm having a hard time. I have this app. It's not making a lot of money. I wonder what's going on. You know, people will troll you and say it's because you suck. But no one's going to come out and say, oh, I simply don't. You know, believe you should be doing what you're doing. I think. Look at Rikai nailed Which, it. Rikai hit, hit me. Rikai. What he's saying is uh, this is why iTunes was so successful for selling music. It's not because the UI was incredible and the buying experience was uh, like first rate. It was easy, quick, and simple. It was literally easier to buy from iTunes than to steal from Napster. And once you put your credentials in, it's one click buy. You got it. And uh, it convenience is king. So I'll give you an example. Of pieces of software, if there was uh, if there was a nice high quality RSS feed editor for publishing podcasts, like there's an application on the Mac called Feeder. It's not that great, but it's a good solid app that the guy you know it's just, that's what he does is he builds this application called Feeder, and a lot of podcast network use this to custom build uh, the XML files for their podcast feeds. I, I'd pay two hundred dollars to have that application on the Linux desktop, and I'd buy every single upgrade. Easy. If you made a one click button. For me to take my pulse, my default pulse audio input into an application and send it out to an IceCast server, and I click one button, and I put in the server information and click broadcast, and I'm not talking about there's an app out there called Butt that does this, and it sucks. Something like NiceCast for the Mac, for Linux, 60 mm-hmm. bucks a year. No problem. You got it. it. Really, for me, there are a category of applications that they just simply are not available for me to buy right now. And so we don't buy them. But for me, it's it's easily a business tool that is a tax of that's a tax write off for me. And absolutely, I would want to support the person who's making those tools because my business is depending on them. So I really think there's a market. It's just a hard market to get to. And I think there is a certain category of users who will never buy certain things. Like, well, and they exist on all platforms, right? Really? Mm, yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they're just a little more militant on this. <laughs> Yeah, I think because some of it, some of it's a, some of them are idealists too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I don't think that's as much as it used to be because you look at the market, look at look at Linux today. I mean, even the Fedora project now is talking about ways to make it easier to set up codecs and install Flash. And you know, even Fedora is like, well, uh, the actual quote was, 
And sometimes we just need to be grown-ups and use our laptop as a tool or something like it was like you know, like wow. Even one of the most diehard distributions about this is starting to loosen up a little bit. And there's still that. And then there are still you know distributions out there like Debian and Triscoll and others that try to really walk that line. And I think what you're going to find is, and my I maintain, although I could be totally wrong, is I think there will be a slow spill off of Mac and Windows users to the Linux platform over time. I think for Mac, definitely. Yeah, that, that's I mean, kind of where I'm going with all this. I mean, yeah. look, at the, look at the Mac hardware. The Mac hardware is boring when it comes to the desktops. They barely update them. Like, they're, like, they're, like, they're not on Skylake yet on their, on their laptops. They're not Skylake anywhere. The, the Mac Pro literally hasn't been updated since they went trash can. The Mac Mini got like an update, what, a, forever ago? They are, they are underwhelming as far as developer workstations go. And unless you spec them up, but even then, like if you got like, say, you needed a really fast machine, so you wanted to, you were going to have you're going to spend a whole bunch of money because at the end of the year it's a tax write off, and you're going to go get yourself a Mac Pro, you would literally be buying a computer for thousands and thousands of dollars with three year old GPUs, three year old GPUs that are like super expensive. Their hardware platform is boring, and their operating system has been getting more and more unstable. Now, lots of people like the Mac. I'm not, I don't want to go to hit this too hard. But my point is, I think there are some people out there that see it my way. Not a lot, but I think there's a, a more and more, and I think they're coming to Linux too. Well, I think there's a large, or maybe not large, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, I feel like I might be a canary in the coal mine here for someone who, you know, works on the Mac for a while now. And his, your point about being bored is spot on, by the way. But also... You know, if I want to release an application on the Mac, there's like this whole superstructure of, you know, the Mac ecosystem, right? That frankly is a huge pain in the ass. Um, in general, in dealing with um, dealing with the Linux community so far, I found it a bit more open and open to new ideas with the exception, of course, of paying for things. <laughs> but if you, if you take that one thing out of the equation, I've generally gotten fairly friendly communications, right? Yeah, sure. That sounds right. And, and, and I'm sure some of that's the association with you, right? The kind of little bit of whatever. Um, some of that is you guys seem to love to try to convert people. Oh, yeah. Come on, brother. Let me tell you the good word. Actually, but, I should mention really quickly, teespring.com slash here's the thing. It's a shirt to help you start the conversation <laughs> for that future Linux. <laughs> Seriously, teespring.com slash here's the thing yeah, on the back of it. It when says, witnesses of yeah, look at this. Here I got, you have the, I don't know if you have the video feed up, but uh, teespring.com slash here's the thing. Not to interrupt you, but uh, uh, look at that. Here's the thing. Do you have a minute to talk about Linux? And it's oh. on a shirt right there. We're, we're trying to raise funds for Linux Fest Northwest. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, yeah, your point's well taken, Mike. Continue. <laughs> Jesus. Have you heard the good news? Have you- <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, the other the other slogan was going to be the power or the persuasion of Noah compels you to try Linux was going to be the. Uh... I, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to continue investigating this. I, I feel like we should just leave it on this very Jehovah's okay. Witness. All right. Well, I want to mention Linux Academy, and I also, if you just don't mind, one or two quick emails, and I want to just you Absolutely. you tease you were going to mention AppGrid. I want to get your thoughts on that too, real quick. But first, yeah. I'm going to mention. Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to support this here show and get yourself our coder radio discount. Now, you're wondering about Linux. You want to get into Linux, you want to do developing for Linux, or you're developing on top of something that runs on Linux, linuxacademy.com slash coders. That's where you go. This is a platform for you. Created by Linux enthusiasts, so they really know their stuff. They have a dedicated staff to keep everything current. They're on top of the trends. When your coder radio program is talking about Docker, years ago, they were getting ready to do courseware on Docker. All the good stuff over there that you've sort of heard us mention, they have courseware on it. Python, Ruby, even that their PHP. Go check it out. They have 2,357 self-paced courses, scenario-based labs to give you that real hands-on-like experience. You walk away with some confidence. Like you've actually done it before. Instructor help is available. Seven-plus distributions to choose from. They automatically adjust the courseware and... The virtual servers that you SSH into. Go check out their OpenStack Essentials. Have you been curious about OpenStack? I started playing with OwnCloud over the weekend. And I noticed that it has integration for the OpenStack storage API. And I thought, all right, maybe I should read about that over at Linux Academy. Go check them out too. Their virtual labs for AWS could save you a ton of money. 
if you're getting into the Red Hat certified courses, definitely check them out. And uh, speaking of OpenStack, if I recall, they have a new uh, OpenStack Foundation certified OpenStack administrator course, speaking of the devil, uh, that you can go take. Brand new course wherever they're OpenStack Foundation certified OpenStack administrator exam. Go there, get go check this out. And OpenStack is one of many technologies. They also have nuggets when you don't have a ton of time to jump into something. They have courseware that automatically adjusts. And also, go check out their blog. They do weekly re- roundups and recaps. Lots of good stuff over there at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So, Mike, just really quick, I don't know if you've actually tried it, but AppGrid, a community-created alternative to the Ubuntu Software Center. It's fast, written from scratch. So it starts right up. It's fairly elegant. It's a nice grid of applications. It's got reviews built in, pretty much ready to go. I've been trying it out. It's been a little buggy for me, but I I don't know. What are your thoughts on something like this? Is this actually going to work long term? Yes, Balmer. Oh, geez. Uh, Yeah, it's great. No, I I did take a brief look at it. You know, I I kind of think the known one is going to be better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm glad somebody's doing something, though. This is what the software center should have been, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Sadly, it's even the right color scheme. Mm, it's like they just thought about it a little bit. Yeah. Hey, just a couple of quick bits of emails to get to before Do we it. get out of here. Dustin writes in. He says, uh, hey, Mike and Chris, I feel like I've picked up a common theme on your Coda Radio program for the last few months. Your various laptop woes. For a while, Chris was lamenting the loss of the Pismo back in the day. And Mike's mentioned his Macs recently failed him. I've been tracking the release of the Lenovo P70. Well, I was wondering, have either of you seen this beast? I've included a link to check it out. Uh, He says uh, he also wrote 1.5 years ago uh, about having anxiety finding a job in software development, and it all worked out. Thanks for the help 1.5 years ago. Keep it up, Dustin. Wow, Dustin, I'm glad you're still listening. So the the, uh, Lenovo, you know, we've said, yeah, I know there's some Lenovos out there that the audience likes. Well, This P70 here, Mike, is like he said, it's a it's a nice machine. It's a big boy though. 17.3 inch mobile workstation starting at eighteen hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Maybe too big for uh, what you're going for? <laughs> big in many senses, I would say. Yeah, I do like that. Yep. Uh, I do like that display it has on it. Boy, that looks nice. But yeah, so the P70 was uh, the Lenovo, one of the Lenovos we heard from. I mean, certain. It, it, I mean, I, re- I read the page. It looks like a beast. I just. I just don't want to spend that much. I don't know who you have to yeah. charm, but if you could get your hands on the uh, IntraWare Apollo, I'm still loving that. Mm. Okay, so Rich writes in with a tough one. I don't know if we can solve this one. Because, well, Rich, sometimes you got to do things the hard way. He writes in, hey, guys, I love the show. And this is in regards to what he says, quote, unquote, a conversion tool. That's the subject line. I've been creating an app in Xcode for a while now. And, of First course, yeah. <laughs> hold on a second. There we go. <laughs> and, of course, have wild dreams of making money with it. Well, it's about almost done in Xcode. My question is, is there any easy way to convert it to Android? Any tools out there, or should I learn Java and start from scratch? Thanks, Rich. Okay, so first thing, go to jetbrains.com. Under all tools, click it. And then scroll down. I'm doing this live with you. There is one called App Code. Download. And then you're good. Um, but to answer your actual question, no, you're screwed. So there are there are Objective C. I'm assuming this is Objective C to Java converters, um, but that's just not a great plan. Do you do you feel like our buddy Rich here is like? Uh, so a couple of weird things about this email jumped out at me. So first sure. of all, uh, he's almost done and now wants to switch to an Android app, which seems. Straight up cray. And then, I've definitely heard of the opposite problem, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And then and then he's doing it because, wait for it, he wants to make money. <laughs> so, All right, step zero like, is actually put down the crack pipe. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, I'm not following because, I mean, maybe he feels like he's got the perfect Android app uh, that will we'll, we'll make a lot of money. But so, I, chances are anything you would use to convert this application to an Android application is going to cause you a lot more work than you're expecting. And if you think it's almost done now, it's not nearly almost done if you're about to import this thing over so, uh, let, let me let me be totally honest, though, right? Okay. Like, I don't know of any tool that does this. Uh, it's called Magic, actually. But, oh, well, of course. I mean, if you have a goat, you know, and up some black candles, some incense, you could probably get it done. But more importantly, conversion tools are 
notoriously terrible things that you shouldn't be using. There we go. See, I'm just sprinkling a oh. little magic uh, uh, conversion dust on it, and now it's all taken care of. Uh, I, w- I would challenge you and, and kind of leave this as a lesson for next time. Did this app actually have to be native? Could it have been an Ionic app? Because it sounds like that's really what you want, right? Because it doesn't. It seems like he doesn't want to get rid of his iOS app. And there's not a whole lot. I mean, we're going off four lines in an email here. But it seems like he also wants to have an Android client as well. Ah, so it's not switching so much that, as... That's what it sounds like to me. That he, he wants to release the iOS version, but also release the Android version. So I would, I would challenge you on why did you do it natively to begin with? Was it just to learn native development? Or did you not know that you could go hybrid? Which seems unlikely. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Rich, I, I wonder... If perhaps you'd like to follow up and let us know, and perhaps we could advise you further. But that's a good question. You know, we, it does make a lot more sense when you break it down into, hey, I think I should ship this for both platforms. Because that is a common request. Hey, I love your app. Do you have it available for Android? That, that, I, that is very common. Yeah, I mean, and I would also say that, you know, it should be easier on Android if only because you've done all the failure and experimentation on iOS. Yeah. So you kind of know what you're true, doing. True, true, true. All right, Mr. Dominic, anything else we need to cover on this week's podcast? Uh, no, no, I don't think so i mean we have one more email but did you cut him out uh well we're kind of you know i figured what i'd do is i'd bump it for next week because next week bumped. we're recording two episodes of the coda radio program so you join us have been bumped. join us for back-to-back coda radios next week go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar i think are we going to start at our regular time and then just go one later or are we going to start an hour early what do we decide we'll start an hour early okay, okay we're going to start an hour early next week so that'll be 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Also, please send us in your feedback at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact or coderadio.reddit.com. So we got lots of stuff to read. Go check out Mike at Dumanuko on Twitter, Buccaneer Tech, and see you here next week. <laughs>